Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. Hey, everybody, Mary Fran Bontempo here. And before we get started with this week's episode, did you know that Brilliantly Resilient can come directly to you? That's right. We have keynotes, programs, presentations, workshops, all available to companies, associations, conferences, and organizations, either virtually or live in person. So head on over to brilliantlyresilient.net at the speaking tab to find out more. And while you're there, You can also sign up for our weekly brilliance bit, which comes to you once a week directly to your inbox and has a bit of brilliance from this week's show and will keep you living in a brilliantly resilient mindset. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. I'm Mary Fran Bontempo. My partner in crime, Kristen Smedley, is off doing some brilliant work with her nonprofit and her gene therapy that's going on there. So I am flying solo today, but boy, do I have a good partner in the seat next to me. I am so excited to have Donna Marie Hayes with us today. First of all, I'm going to give you a a lot of Donna's background here by way of introduction, because it's important, I think, to what we're going to talk about afterwards. So Donna is an author, and that's what we're here to talk about today, of These Broken Roads, Scammed and Vindicated, One Woman's Story. But Donna is also a performer, an actress, a cabaret singer. She's an HR professional, and she's a coach who helps women shed victimhood. Donna Marie, I am so happy to have you here today with us. Thank you for joining us. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. So I have to first ask, do you prefer to be addressed as Donna Marie or Donna? The reason being, I am Mary Frances, named Mm -hmm. after grandmothers, and I don't want to insult anybody. So what works for you? Just Donna is fine. (laughs) Okay. So Donna, one of the reasons that I wanted to give a lot of your background when we're diving into this I think when we see people or meet people or view them on social media or whatever, we tend to compartmentalize them based on what we see in that moment. The consequence of which is we often think that a couple of things, oh, that will never happen to me because that person is different from me, or I'll never be able to recover or, or rise to a certain place because Mm -hmm. that person is not me. I mean, people look at me and they don't see the mother of a recovering heroin addict, as I'm sure they would look at you and not see someone who could be scammed. So I think it's important to show people all the sides of us. Do you, do you find that to be true? Absolutely agree. I mean, I believe we all wear masks. We all wear masks, you know, and I, you know, when I worked in in corporate America, for example, I was a managing director for an international investment bank, one of the biggest um, foreign banks. And I was at the one of the top um, corporate titles. And when you look at me, you know, professionally, I'm doing really, really well. But personally, I was struggling. So it's really important to take a look at the person as a whole and really not draw conclusions at all. So to that end, um, 
do you think that we also see ourselves in a certain way? Because what happened to you, I'm sure you thought, well, that could never happen to me because I'm this, that, and the other thing, which precisely is what can sometimes make us vulnerable. Oh, yes, I, I, I agree with that. And I didn't see it as a scam because when you think of a romance scam, the traditional, I hate to use the word, the traditional scam is, you know, someone who you've never met, someone who's hiding behind a computer screen in a faraway land with a sob story and someone who's vulnerable sends money to this person and it's really someone behind a computer as opposed to someone who's sleeping next to you for 18 months pretending to be in a relationship with you. And when it all falls apart, you really see it for what it is. So sometimes you, you know, I I always thought I could never be that person who would send money to someone who I've never met. But here I am and it happened to me, it, it just happened in a different way. So I don't think we can predict or draw any real conclusion about what could happen to us or what won't happen to us, because you don't know the set of circumstances that would probably allow that. And what kind of state you're in, how vulnerable you are, how are you showing up in your life? Are you showing up diminished? Are you showing up with self-limiting beliefs or some of your childhood trauma seeping into your adult life? And, you know, for me, it was kind of a mixture of all those things. So it's, it's it's hard to say, well, what will or will not happen to someone? It depends on what's going on. I'm, I'm scribbling notes here because I think um, all of those things we bring with us every day, but they're clearly, they're not in our consciousness. And right. that's probably good because good Lord, could you imagine the voices in your head? <laughs> right. But, but at the same time, you make a very valid point that because we bring all of this with us, we can't really make hard and fast statements about how we're going to react or what we're capable of doing or not doing or where we are in any given situation. So how do you proceed then? First of all, tell I want to get into your story. And then sure. I want to talk about after what you've learned from yourself, how do we figure out how to move forward once something like that happens, knowing then that there are all these moving parts that we really have to be aware of. So mm -hmm. tell us about your story and then we'll move on from there. Sure. So I was born in Jamaica, West Indies. I was raised by my grandmother and step-grandfather. And my parents were here in the States. I really didn't know my dad. Um, I knew of my mom. I really don't have a lot of childhood memories of her. She would visit, but I really, the few, the few times that I mentioned in the book, but I had such a need and a yearning for my mom and my parents that I would pray to their pictures. Oh. And yeah, I would, I would, and I thought they could hear me. I would get on my knees every night and I would pray to their pictures and I would tell them about school and the chores that I did and what a good girl I am etc. And in the book, there is a picture of a letter that I actually wrote to my mother when I was five years old, introducing myself, because I didn't understand how parenting worked. I didn't think she met me. So I said, oh I was introducing gosh. myself to say, hi, my name is Donna. I'm your daughter. I would like to see you one day. But I didn't make the connection that she had to have seen me at some point. And, you know, when I moved to the States, I immediately was immersed in this church, this Pentecostal church, and my mom was not 
she she's not a warm and fuzzy person. I you know and she she's not the type that will give make you feel supported. You know it's good enough that you have a roof over your head and you have food in your belly. That's that's parenting as far as she was mm. concerned. She wasn't going the other the other route. And in this church, we were not able to do any of the things that a no, quote unquote normal teenager would do. For example, I've never been to a prom, never been on a date. Uh, we weren't allowed to watch television. Sports were prohibited, couldn't listen to secular music. So I didn't do really, I was in this bubble. And so you know how children would pray for the weekends. I'm ready for the weekend. I would pray for the weekdays. So at least I could go to school where I was being bullied mercilessly, but that's a, a completely different story. So I think, and, and to marry someone, you had to go to the pastor and get permission to marry someone. You weren't allowed to date. There was no hand-holding or kissing or dating. Okay, so but how did that work? <laughs> yeah, you'd go to the pastor and says, this is someone that I'd like to marry. And he would go to God and God would say yes or no. Oh and so, you know, it was like this bubble. So when I left the church, I actually ran away. As you can see in the book, I ran away at the, you know, I was 19 going, I was 20 going on 21. And it was a world that I didn't really understand. I was just so... um deprived of what it was like to actually be alive in the world. I remember after I married my first husband, asking him, was it okay if I turned on the television? Oh my goodness. Because I didn't think that, you know, I had the right. I felt as if I didn't have any rights. I felt very diminished. So whether directly or indirectly, I was led to believe that I was really nothing. And that followed me. And so when I got into these relationships, as long as, you know, they were nice to me because people weren't usually nice or, or being very affectionate, because that's something that I never really had, I kind of overlooked certain things and just focused on the things that I felt that I needed. And that's a pattern that followed me. And I felt I had to do extra mm. to be worthy. That's and, and, and yeah, and so even after surviving you know, and, and going up the corporate ladder, that little girl was still there, hanging on, hoping. And I think that reflected in some choices that I made. I, I think that that is such a valuable insight because it's it's interesting that you say that. I I occasionally go back in my mind, you know, true confessions of, of sounding a little bit, <laughs> a little bit crazy here, but I go back in my mind to myself as a, as a child and I do see those patterns of a lot of them fear-based and, yes. and not that I grew up necessarily in a, in a, an environment that made me afraid, yeah. Yeah. but I think you take on the things that naturally you learn. Kids are sponges. We absorb, we take in what's around us. And I, I too, in looking back now and a lot of my decisions that I made through my life, recognize that there is something there that that we really have to acknowledge and be aware of because our lives are made up of the bulk of our experiences exactly that's exactly right and i you know in in my book i talk about when my mom visited and my sisters were there and i was so happy because now I can, you know, I grew up with my cousin, Sherlock Holmes. I don't know if you've read about him in the book, but I, my, my cousin's name was really Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> and I was just so happy not to talk to the goats 
and the cows and the pigs to, yes. you know, because my grandparents were at the market. I was just this little girl roaming. And I always felt so lost as if I really didn't belong to anyone or anything. And I remember when my sisters came to stay for about two years and my cousin Sherlock, those three, those two years were just phenomenal. We played and I had people to, to talk to and, you know, eat with and go to bed and what have you. And when my mom came and just took them, didn't say they were leaving, just said, okay, get your things, you're leaving. And I remember sitting on the veranda going, feeling so isolated and as if I really was not worthy to go. I was not good enough to go. And that kind of followed me. So yes, a lot of our childhood traumas absolutely seep into, subconsciously, in, into our lives. And I show up, you know, in, in this way. And I had to really do the work to kind of find the other way back. And that's so important because, you know, as with everything, self-reflection has two sides. You can either, yes. you can be a navel gazer where you're too into yes. what you're feeling and right. thinking, right. but that element of self-reflection, especially when it refers to those patterns that we consistently see ourselves doing things that can really be destructive. And you under, unfortunately found that out in a big way because yes. everything that you're telling me, that idea of of isolation, of overlooking things because someone is kind to you or is nice to you. You know, one of the things that we, I think we have to understand, and, and you obviously learned this in a big way, is we can't base our reactions to other people purely on what we think or what we would do. Because sure. just as we bring things to our relationships, so do other people. Yes. So how did, tell us about your experience with this person that you loved and how all of these things played into, first of all, you being scammed, but then second of all, you figuring out, okay, this is what happened and this is how I move beyond that. Yes. So, you know, in, when I met him, I was 54 and he was my third relationship, any sort of relationship in 54 years. The prior two individuals were my two ex-husbands who were very, very, the second one more so, very, very abusive. So I took eight years after I left him and I really focused on myself and I challenged myself. I completed the marathon. Uh, wow, that's impressive. It, yeah, in the New York City Marathon, it, I completed it. It took me six hours, but I completed it. And I started singing and I started performing and I started really practicing self-care. I went into to therapy and I, you know, I thought I was ready, and but I felt lonely. You know, I wanted companionship. When you get to a certain point in your life, it's a different experience sitting in the movies, watching the movies by yourself versus having someone to share that with or going out to dinner. I wanted that companionship. And I think maybe it was because of where I was in my life or maybe because I never really had it. Because if you'll see in my book, my two husbands were absent people. They really weren't present. And so I, you know, I got rid of that second one and now was the time. And someone suggested, well, why don't you try online dating? And I said, don't know much about that. <laughs> and she said, it's a website for only folks over 50. So I'm like, okay, folks over 50 are usually individuals who are set, content, grounded, <laughs> grounded and, you know, hopefully mature. And I, I gave it a shot and I met a few people, but he was the only one on that site that I actually went out with. And we had our first date and I really liked him. He was very charming. He seemed really interested in me. 
And what was I about? He talked a lot about my job and about my my life and my, my daughter and talked about his sons. I now know that the, re the reason he asked so many questions because he needed to create his little plan and information that I was giving him. I now look back to see how he used some of those things against me because he knew that I had just been through this terrible situation and he was just a savior. I'm there to help you. I'm there to care for you. I'm there to kind of, you know, make you forget about some of these other things that have happened. And we went hiking. I don't hike. But we went hiking. <laughs> we, we but went he was broadening your horizons, you know, and it was exactly. also wonderful. And, and and I, you know, I ate it up. We would yeah. ride the Staten Island Ferry just to ride the Staten Island Ferry. We went to a lot of escape rooms and dinner. It was just such a magical time for me. Um, and I, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to give this guy a chance. And whenever I would question myself, I would explain it away. I would say, that's just the trauma talking. That's uh. because you just went through two terrible things or your mom or bullying or what, whatever may have happened. That's just you reacting to that. You know, life is short. Enjoy it. And that's kind of how I talked myself through it until it all came to this horrific end. You know, I'm, I'm so relating to what you say because when my son was going through many of his struggles and before the, the ultimate uh, overdose, which, which got us to finally look at it, I often say to myself that I was best friends with distraction and denial mm. Mm. because mm. when, when something's happening and you, you feel that. And the other thing I say is ladies, we have women's intuition and it's a thing. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, a thing. thing. It's so a thing. It you really do is. not not pay attention to those Correct. little niggling doubts. You yeah. have to get to the bottom of them because otherwise we do exactly what you did and what I did. We yeah. deflect, we explain away because who wants to live in more trouble? But if you don't tell yourself the truth and look at the truth, that's exactly what you're inviting in. And plus- yeah. You did a lot of the things that we all tell people to do. Oh, you know, take care of yourself and spend time alone and ground yourself. So you're figuring here at this point that oh, you're yeah. on solid ground. Yes, I, I really did. I really did. I thought those eight years of just being by myself prepared me for this. But, you know, I just got sucked right in because he was so nice and because I needed that and I needed it to be real. I wanted it to be real. So I kind of talked around it. I deflected, as mm. you said, and really said, you know, life is short. If you're having a great time, have a great time. Who knows? And so I, I, I went along with that. And towards the end, I realized that I was, I was only being primed and groomed oh. throughout. You know, <laughs> I'm not a patient person, <laughs> but this guy had patience. He had a lot of patience. And, and that's he wanted me to part. believe that it was true that he that he um, carved my initials in his chest. Oh, God. You know, he carved my initials. Who does that? If you're not really truly with someone, I'm not talking a little one like Big D and the and at the musical note, the treble clef in the middle and H. Just so he says, I love you that much that I want to spend my life with you. You've really changed my life, and you know. 
And so I believed it. I, I didn't really see the signs until after it was over that I'm going, well, he went all out because he figured I was a big payday. So therefore he had to do a little extra. That That is, it's so sinister. Sinister. And, and to find yourself ultimately enmeshed in that. So yeah. tell me what happened and and tell me, I can already imagine how it affected your psyche because I'm listening to your story and I'm just shrinking inside <laughs> listening to this. Yes. So I can only imagine what it did to you. Yeah. But tell me what the what was the what was the denouement, the denouement of the story? How do we move well, through the drama? Yeah. So I, I was looking for a house and he had a family member who owned a property. This family member is an attorney, and I think he was a co-conspirator, but that's another maybe another book. Um, and I was doing a lot of traveling. He was practically living with me. He had moved his stuff in most of the time he was spending here. So I went to look at his, at the house and I decided to invest in the house. And, but I just, he kept talking about this house, talking about this house. Anyway, I decided to invest and I turned the money over him to handle the renovations. Mm. That, that was it. Turn the money over to him. And he would give me a play by play because I was traveling a lot. For, for, for acting, I had some acting gigs on the West Coast. And at night he would say, oh, today we put in the whirlpool and today we put in the island. And you know how you love flowers. I made sure I put a garden right by the front there for oh. you. Cause so when, as he, he says, I know when you come home, you wanna see the flower bed garden like your grandmother. Why does he know about my grandmother? Oh my gosh. So much about my grandmother. Like you, you want to have it just like your grandmother's flower bed. I put oh. all of your favorite colors. You're going to love it. And then he would say, oh, and you know where you want to have the piano, that little room? I'm going to put a special window. So he had very, he would tell me about arguments that he had with the workers and how they're oh taking too much time for um, lunchtime. And, you know, I want this to all be finished by June 1st. And I said, send me a picture. That was a sign. Send me a picture. He says, well, you saw it unfinished with your own eyes. I would love, it would mean so much to me if oh. you would see finished with your own eyes. And I was like, okay, that's sweet, I guess. He goes, please do this for me. Please do this for me. And then when it was time for me to see the house, and I want to give away too much. And he, he timed it as well. He made sure that everything happened when I had, right after I had foot surgery. Because he knew that oh I could not. He knew I was having foot surgery. He didn't. When I woke up, I said, where is he? And they said, no one's here. He didn't come. He knew that I was having foot surgery. So he planned it around that. But anyway, after all of that happened. <laughs> I want to hurt this man. I just want to hurt this man. <laughs> and so after, when I realized what happened, when my, my attorney says, you know what? I hired an attorney in, in, in Connecticut because that's where the property is. He said, you know what? It's not far from my office. Let me drive down. And he drove. And then he called me and he said, Donna, the property wasn't finished. I'm like, oh, no, you must have. I'm sure you went to the wrong address. I gave him the address again. He goes, no. And he sent me pictures. And I said, that's the house. And there's nothing but litter on the yard, in, in the yard. I'm like, well, maybe they didn't. You know, and even then seeing it, I was saying, well, maybe someone didn't come in and clean up the litter. How are the tenants? He said, there are no tenants. And I remember just saying, no. And then it was around the same time where he told call and told me that his mom passed away. I don't want to give away too much about that oh as well. Goodness. Yeah. 
I don't, I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you, you read that part when he told me that his mom passed away. <sighs> so I, I started explaining again, well, you know, his mom just died. He's in a bad place. I am sure there's a, a wonderful explanation for this. I'm sure. But I kept reaching him and he wouldn't contact me back. And then it dawned on me. Wonder if he's, well, he called my lawyer, first of all, and said, prove it. Prove that <gasps> she gave me money. Prove it. And even threatened that if I took any sort of action, that he would make up stories that I told him stuff about my company where I worked, which I wasn't even worried about because I would never do that. And I remember saying to my lawyer, but that's not him. He's such a kind, wonderful, he, I'm sure he's having some sort of breakdown because his mom just passed away. And then I, I remember grabbing my crutches and hobbling over, grabbing my laptop, sitting down, going back on the website. And there he was with a new name, New oh profile name. Yeah. <laughs> New profile name. And in one of those pictures, he was actually wearing one of my running shirts. New name saying he's an accountant. And oh. that's when that's when it settled into me what had happened. What really oh, happened. Oh, Donna, I can't even <laughs> imagine. It was devastating because I absolutely, you know, really cared oh. for him. And I thought I was in a really 18 months. 18 months. And I just called the EAP service at my firm and I got a counselor. I would call night after night, just sobbing until one woman said to me, throw him, it's money. You can make more. He can throw him back on the pile and just keep living your amazing life. Don't worry. He'll implode one day in, in lots of bad decisions. And that's when I got the strength and I said, I'm going to fight. Cause normally because of how I was raised, I, you know, I would steer clear of, anything that was confrontational and sure. any chaos because I wanted to kind of keep the peace, but I'm wondering now whose peace am I keeping? Certainly oh, that might be. I love that. Whose, whose peace, peace am, am I keeping? keeping? I'm scribbling yeah. again. Whose peace am I You know, people say, you know, let's not, let's keep the peace, but whose peace? It wasn't my peace. And so I went to the FBI and I went to the police and I went to the district attorney and I did all these things that was current, that was uncharacteristic of me. And that's kind of where I found my power. They filed a lawsuit. He didn't show up. So I got a judgment against him. And this is not in the book, but March of this year, they found him. He's living. He had a girlfriend all through this. So that's why I think she was a part of it. Oh, he had a girlfriend no all, 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 all along. And he sure. lives upstate with her. They found an account with his name and froze the account and sent all the money to me. He then called the enforcement person to say, Please don't take all of it. Can I set, can I do a payment plan? <laughs> I mean, like just I, the I, just the gall and he was, a, he was a catch me if you can type. Yes, yeah. He was a catch me if you can. But I had to do self, some self reflection, and I had to look at myself, and I had to look at how I was showing up, and why it was so important to be in a, in this relationship with this man. And I came out on the other side. And then so, immediately after that, I formed a company, Distinguished Coaching, became an ICF certified coach and started coaching women. So there's there's so much to unpack here. But I know. what I'm what I really want to kind of focus on for the, mm -hmm. for the brilliantly resilient aspect of this mm -hmm. is, first of all, we say becoming brilliantly resilient is a process. Yes. Like you don't just get there one day no. and go, hey, get 
completely no. resilient and I'm no. never going to have another problem yeah. because I'm walking yeah. around with this headset yeah. because the truth yeah. of the matter is we cannot shed in, in its entirety what we've been through and Correct. what we've experienced and what we grew up with. Correct. But Correct. we can, as you said, reflect on those things, number one. Number two, tell ourselves the truth. Yes. Like that is huge. Yeah. I say that huge. all the time. Huge, huge. Our perception, which is one of the parts that we talk about in Brilliantly Resilient, our perception of things is not always the truth. Yes. Yes. And once you finally, unfortunately, realize the truth, one, you are armed with that. Yes. And you go back and you understand why things happen with you, then you can take action. Correct. I, I always say I'm a sailor who went through some rough waters. I got through it and now I'm a better sailor. There you go. You know, and now I'm a better sailor. Yes. And and more equipped to yes. be aware and recognize that all of these pieces of you are nothing to be. If we look at life as this journey and we mm -hmm. look at our experiences at things that as things that enable us to not only go forward on our own, but then to serve others, which is what you ended up yes. doing. Yes. That's a yes. huge piece of it. Then I think, don't you think it takes away some of the shame that we felt if we can pull back and see, Okay, this was first of all, my partner and I say we're not going to tell you that your sucker punches were a blessing because yeah. they sucked. I mean, let's yeah. just put that out there. They yeah. were awful. Yeah. It, it was it was it, it was awful. And but I started talking to a lot of women in the gym, in the stores, in my office, and I learned about so many other women who were in similar situations, not the traditional scam but there, some were engaged to people, some were even married to people and they became engaged and they became, and they married that individual just to steal. One woman ended up in a shelter. Oh One woman gosh. had to re go back to work in her sixties. And there was a young woman whose boyfriend um, took out a lot of credit cards in her name and sent her into bankruptcy. And this was someone that she was very, very close with. The, what was common, the common thread was shame. I don't, I didn't talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I just want to leave it behind me. I don't want people to think that, you know, I should have seen what was happening. And in that moment, the Donna who would normally shy away as well and say, yeah, I don't want to talk. I says, no, I'm going to tell the story. I am going to tell the story and I am going to. So now with all the charges that I filed against him, the next woman who he mm -hmm. made, who, who may just Google his name. We'll see what he did. And Again, hopefully we'll taking, get taking notes here, because yeah. that was one of the things that I decided because I am not the, well, this is, this, this is dumb, kind of a silly thing to say, but um, I was going to say, I don't fit whatever the traditional model of what a, the mother of an addict would look like, but that's for one very important reason, because there is no, model Correct. of what that person Correct. looks like. Correct. Correct. And that's what we have to understand. So yes. the shame thing, which is what these people prey on, can actually become our power. Yes. If you look at that and you go, you know what? This is what they wanted me to feel. Yes. And, and I'm not going to yeah, I'm not going to bite. And, and and that's what he was hoping for because he would tell me constantly, you're such a kind person. You're such a nice person. <laughs> you know, you're 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 scared of everything because 
things like, you know, I, I said, let's not do that. Let's help this person. Let's help that person. Let's do this. So he was banking on me doing that with, and, and for some reason it was such, it was such a stunning situation. I mean, I was like, what? And I found my power in that. I'm like, I am not going to be ashamed because I didn't do it. He did exactly. it to me. Exactly. I'm when not going to wear your shame. It's your shame. You wear it. That's perfect. You're not going to wear his shame. And I, I love that. Here I am scribbling again. I'm not going to wear your shame. <laughs> you need you to start me. Yeah, I'm going to send you all of a list of your brilliance bits here. And you just take them out and you just keep saying that stuff over yes. and over again. I'm not going to wear your shame. And I think that that's, um, again, it goes back to our fear to, to bring this conversation kind of full circle that people won't see us the way we want to be seen. Yes. Yes. Here I was in boardrooms doing major presentations. I was on a few television shows. Um, I was singing and acting and, you know, have all of this stuff going on. Me, how am I going to say I was scammed by this criminal? Exactly. What, what, will that, what will that do? And I decided that it, it still happened, whether you accept it, it didn't happen. How can I repurpose it? I call it repurposing my pain. Exactly. How can I repurpose it? How can I take this and use that to benefit someone else? So I, I call it repurposing pain to benefit others. It happened, yes. Um, it's in the past. I went through therapy and I'm healed, but now I'm using it in the book and in my coaching practice to help to repurpose, repurpose it to help others. Donna, I, this conversation was just so not only enlightening for, for me, but also um, validating and empowering because every single one of us have had experiences that we would like to forget because they yes. made us feel less than. Yes. And it's so important to look those things in the face and say exactly what you said. This happened. One of the things that we say in Brilliantly Resilient is you have the decision to make with your challenges. Are yeah. you just visiting them or are you going to live there? Live there. Exactly. Exactly. And when exactly. you make the decision that you're not going to live in that place, no. No. then your mind begins to work on solutions. You begin yeah. to take your control and your power back and yeah. then you can act. Because I think that's Absolutely. one of the other things that these situations do to us. They kind of try to trap us in inertia where yes. you you don't yes. know what to do so you don't do anything exactly and that's what i that's 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 what i have done historically and the book started the the initial title was last run along these broken roads and we cut it to just these broken roads and the reason was last run if you notice in my book i was always running i ran from my mom then i ran from my first husband then i ran i always ran i didn't face it head on i ran and i'm like this time i'm standing my ground I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to, I'm going to deal with it for what it was. I'm going to work on myself, but I am not running. I am not hiding. I am so proud of you, even though we just met. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. So this conversation has been nothing short of amazing. I want to, I want to tie it up with a few things. First of all, you have Tamron Hall on your calendar so yes. at this recording that is upcoming for you we're going to try to figure out when we can we can you know put these things together to just give you that extra push right. with your story because i think you need that and want that and it's so important for women to hear 
And to that end, I want everybody to know where they can find you and where they can get the book. Sure. The, the book is was just, just came out yesterday, October 3rd. It's available wherever books are sold. You can get it on Amazon and Walmart and Barnes and Noble and um, Target, wherever, wherever books are sold. Um, you can find me on my, I have a website, Donna-Hayes.com. My coaching practice is distinguishedcoaching.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Donna Hayes. On Instagram, I am Donna Hayes. On LinkedIn as Donna Hayes. So I'm on most of the social media um, platform, but people can reach out to me, you know, whether it's on my website or on, on, on any of the social media platforms. Donna, thank you so much for this truly brilliantly resilient conversation. Great. Readers, please go out. All of our listeners, please go get these broken roads. Scammed and Vindicated, One Woman Story. It is a fascinating read by a fascinating woman with so many lessons for all of us, regardless of what our challenges, train wrecks, sucker punches, as we call them here at Brilliantly Resilient, what they are. Donna, thank you so much for not only sharing your story, but in using it to help other people to, again, empower them and take control of their lives. I'm so grateful. Thanks for joining us. That is my one wish. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. And if you are still looking for another little bit of inspiration, go to brilliantlyresilient.net. Sign up for our Brilliance Bits. Donna will be featured on one of those Brilliance Bits, which is where we take a piece of the brilliance that our guests have have dropped on us and give that to you in a one-minute read, which helps you to live a brilliantly resilient life with a brilliantly resilient mindset. We'll see you next time, everybody. Thank you for joining us here at Brilliantly Resilient. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.